Hi, I'm Lawrence Diamond. And I'm Bob Matthews. And this is The Process of Production. All right, mate, how's your week been? Yeah, it's been good. It's been a manic one. Lots going on. Um, I was actually thinking this week about something that can often be a part of your role as a producer that I just thought might be worth touching on. And it's sort of like the work you do that doesn't come out or doesn't get released or doesn't get seen. Um, yep. I've been doing a lot of work on a project recently, really enjoying it. Um, it's kind of a passion thing. And then gets to the point where you're like, is this going to take the next step and come out? Is it going to see the world? Me and you have done a lot of work on projects that we've loved and really done some great work on. And then whether the artist's personal circumstances change or their professional circumstances change or just they didn't envisage it as something they wanted to release. Yeah. Um, it's such a big part of our work and it's something you've probably had a bit more experience of than me. And I just, just thought it'd be an interesting thing to talk about this week. It, weirdly, th- th- this has been on my mind as well. I, um, I've got on my to-do list, um, catalogue all my production work ever. Which Amazing. So- sounds like something that, that maybe I should have been doing anyway, but like I, I don't have a folder or an iTunes playlist or, or anything mm-hmm. anywhere of just all the work I've done. And yeah, when I think about, and I'm sure this is the same for most producers, like 90% of the work I do it doesn't come out mm. and i think and i think especially as a song when you're doing a lot of songwriting as well there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that you're just throwing it against the wall but yeah really proud of so much of this stuff um that i've done and especially some of the work we've done together thinking about bits we did for trudy bits we did for yeah. kenya grace yeah just so good and i think it can be a bit of a confidence blow when you haven't had a release in a while or you feel like things aren't going great so i just thought mm. you know what i'll have that catalog of really good work that maybe hasn't come out and I can just put it on shuffle and be like, oh yeah, yeah, we did this and this, it might might not yes. come out, but that doesn't mean it's not amazing and like, it, it could just be a bit inspiring. Yeah, I, it's funny you say that. I have a playlist like that, particularly as you say with songwriting work where maybe you've not had a cut for a while and I'm going into a session, particularly maybe with someone new and it's weird, I'm sure a lot of people have this like that imposter syndrome of like, I'm going to write with this person. Why would they do that? I've not had a cut or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'd listen to this playlist. I'd be like, that's a really good song. That's yeah. a really good song. That's a great production. Um, and that it sort of helps helps you come to terms with that. And I've had quite a nice few months of some really nice stuff I've worked on coming out. Mm. But it's been, a lot of that work was a long time ago. And then you start yeah. going like, well, what's the next thing that comes? And it, it can be a confidence blow, but it's also music's such a wonderful thing and and you do that work with passion and you want it to see the world yeah completely nice oh, it's interesting it was on your mind too i'm sure a lot of our listeners have it i was thinking about how to do an amazing seg from that chat to, to our guest this week and 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 um i guess if we're talking about your work getting an audience um i guess this week cameron gower pool his a lot of his work is getting a very big audience because he is our first vocal producer Yes, uh, on the show, um, and Bob will talk a bit more about what that is. But his his big recent work is that he was the vocal producer or vocal engineer uh, on Future Nostalgia, the Grammy Award winning Dua Lipa album, among a million other things that we'll hear about. But um, yeah, he's got a long standing wow. relationship with uh, Anne Marie, so I, I think he's basically carved out a niche. I don't know if he's the only guy in, in the UK, and I'm sure there are a few more. But he seems to be like the go to when. There's a big pop artist and the label think, could we get a bit more from the vocal here? Mm. Or we need we need to really smash the vocals on this one. They send them to Cameron 
and he essentially does a session just on recording the vocals and mm. getting the vocals recorded perfectly and getting coaxing the right performance out of the singer. And it sounds like he does a lot of work where there's already a really good vocal on the track and they're just trying to better it. Or, or he has a really close relationship with the artist and he works on all their vocals. Yeah, and with so many pop artists these days, vocaling beats that have maybe been pre-produced or yeah. um, writing a, a tune in a day or two and then the, the producer going off to work on the track, mm. is that... It, it, it's that moment when you really get time to look at the vocal maybe which you would get in a bigger album session yeah. that's gone and the mm. vocal particularly in pop music i mean not not saying any cutting insight here the vocal is all yeah and um it seems it's as you say it's something that's a bit more prevalent in the u.s with Coo corral who if you've not heard of him there's some great articles online i think the guardian has a really nice piece on him as well but it's yeah, Cameron. Cameron said when we asked him about what what is a vocal producer, he he mentioned Ku Carell. We didn't make the interview, but Cam mentioned that he was kind of the first big producer that was really focusing on just the vocals. Uh, after he he cut a lot of Rihanna's early vocals and formed a and then uh, Bieber after that. Yeah, I mean, we're that's talking right. Big one-two punches here. Mm. So it's a relatively new role in our industry, mm. but kind of a crucial one because, as you say, like the recording process has changed so much. But na but like the vocal in pop music, the vocal is the one thing where you can't you can't bypass that that traditional mm -hmm. recording process. Yes. Yeah, and there's recordings that might never have touched physical air, as it were. They may have been yeah. created entirely in the box, and this is the one moment they come into the real world. Yeah, and you can't 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 cut corners. You can't fake that. Yeah, I think there's a lot to take from this interview on a on a whole load of levels. I think. Um, just about how Cameron's career path has gone, about his attitude. He's, you can tell what a positive guy he is. And also, if you're making any kind of music, just those lessons about vocals, it, it translates to basically all genres. This, this interview flew by when I looked at it and I was like, gosh, we've been talking for nearly an hour and a half. It felt like we've been chatting for 10 minutes. Yeah, every bit of it is really valuable to anyone who records music whether it's vocals or not and um mm. yeah we'll discuss some really interesting points uh, in the conclusions uh, that that cam brings up which and i think this is just a really good primer for anyone who wants to understand how vocals are recorded today thanks to cameron um yeah let's get to the interview let's do it Cameron Gower-Poole graduated from the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts and made his way up the production ladder at Trevor Horn's Psalm Studios in London. After excelling as an engineer in vocal recording sessions, Cameron built a reputation as someone who could get the best out of an artist's singing performance. After being nominated for Breakthrough Producer of the Year by the Music Producers Guild in 2021 and then Vocal Producer of the Year in 2022, he's worked with an array of pop stars, including Dua Lipa on her Grammy-nominated Future Nostalgia album, Rina Sawayama, Anne-Marie, and Mahalia, to name a few. We speak to Cameron at his London studio about his role and how he found it. We haven't had anyone who could be really described as a vocal producer on the podcast before, and maybe you could just kick us off by talking about what a vocal producer is and, and how, you, how you see your role. I suppose what it is, is, I mean, artists, they've got to sing and someone's got to record their vocal, but there's so much more to it than just putting the mic up and pressing record. It's not, it's not sort of black and white and it's not a science. S singing is such a, like a f kind of full body thing, right? Not to discredit any other instrument or performer, but like playing a piano, you're playing a, 
another object or playing guitar, you're playing an object. Singing is all coming from you, right? Mm. So it's a, it's a mm. physical, emotional thing. And you've got to be in the right headspace. You've got to feel right to be able to, to sing well, to be your best. And so it's not just about recording someone well. It's about like creating the environment for them and making sure that they are comfortable, that they can be their best and giving them a bit of help along the way. I find a lot of people have, they often have visions of how they want a record to sound or how they they want a vocal to sound. Um, but that vision might be a little incomplete. Well, they sort of need to go through the process to, to figure out exactly what it is they, they want. So my job as a vocal producer is to guide them a little bit, maybe be a sounding board for ideas, tell them when I think something's wicked, also tell them when I think it's a bit boring or <laughs> there might be something cooler for them to do. Um, mm. And those, that, those kind of comments come with, with time and with trust. I don't just dive in and say, that's rubbish. Yes, sure. <laughs> nice to meet you today. Yeah. Bobbins. Can we, yeah. So being a vocal producer is very much a relationship thing as well. Like you are, so the best sessions are ones where I've worked with so-and-so like multiple times before and we get in and we know how each other works and we have the vocal settings that we've used before and we just kind of hit the ground running and, and there's no messing around. You graduated from Lippum and, and am I right, you started engineering at Psalm, uh, Trevor Horn Studios. Is that sort of where you first started working in studios? Yeah, I did the usual sort of stint of work experience and sort of trying to get whatever I could do, sort of willing to work for free, the, the usual bits after mm, after leaving sure. Lippa. But, but yeah, I started working as an assistant at Psalm in... 2011 I think and that was very much that was when Sam was back in the original Island Studios building on Basing Street um, and Trevor had bought it in the 80s I think uh, and it was it was still like one of those kind of big studio complexes like Rack or Metropolis or Abbey Road I suppose sure the, the ones that remain mm. um, and I started as an assistant and one of the things we had to do was um, a night reception so the studio was open 24 hours a day and wow. and one of the first jobs I did I think in my first week was I did like I did seven days of or seven nights of night reception you come in at like you start at 10 p.m and you work through for 12 hours oh my to God. 10 a.m just um hanging out in the studio you're you're letting people in and out through the door booking people cabs like maybe you run out and pick up food and then people kind of leave when the sessions end, which I don't know, it could be like, it could be midnight, 1am most of the time. There would be later sessions. Every, once everyone had gone home, you would kind of go around, pack down the studios, set up for the next day, have a bit of a clean, play the piano. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Play the drums, have a little sort of noodle around on the, on the, on the desk. It was a fantastic opportunity for, like learning the studios you can go and see like how something's been set up or where the mics are or something um it was it was right, great yeah it was, go in and go in and study what the the producer that was in that day how they've mic'd the drum kit that day or how they've yeah and just kind of make a mental note i i suppose um it was fantastic it was physically grueling but yeah. um 
but great. And I, I went on from there, once you've sort of progressed or graduated from night reception and proved yourself a little bit, this is a real traditional uh, route, mm. thinking about mm. it, you would be allowed into the studios to assist or to make tea. That was That's what I really miss now, actually, is being in the studio watching other people work. Yeah. Um, what that was such a treat and i really took like i learned a lot but i took it for granted i think imagine going back and doing that now that would be uh yeah that would be incredible we talk a lot about that sort of passive knowledge that kind of passive learning where you're you're sat there and you're being the t-boy and you're maybe not expected to do much more but you're watching maybe three or four seasoned professionals just do their job and that yeah you can't help but absorb that and and sponge that in right yeah i had, I had a great time and then um, the next sort of graduation from that would be assisting for Trevor. And Trevor had Studio One uh, sort of for him a lot of the time. And he being the producer and the the sort of style of his production, his production style, which was very kind of mm. maximalist and like there would be multiple drum kits set up. The piano would be mic'd up, organs, everything would be available to record at any one point. So there's a lot to sort of deal with in terms of technical aspects of the studio and then tr also trevor had this fantastic engineer called tim um who still works with trev now but um t tim would do this thing where he would be trevor would sit behind the, the console right but uh, between the speakers on the other side of the console and he would sit in a chair kind of out of sight most of the time and then he would listen sort of passively and when he had something to say or when he wanted to listen a little bit more intently, he would stand up and lean over the console with his sort of head between the NS10s or whatever speakers are on the meter bridge. Uh, and then Tim would sit at the sort of Pro Tools rig, which was in the middle of the desk. This, if you haven't seen pictures of Studio One, had it was like a big, I don't know if it's a 90 channel SSL that kind of curved Whoa, round. Wow. Yeah. Um, and Tim would sit in the middle and every once in a while, I think Tim would just get a bit bored and he'd get up and walk out or just go for a walk or he'd go outside and have a cigarette. And Trev maybe wouldn't notice because he'd be sat down behind the back of the, the console and he would he would speak up and he would say something like, uh, mm, I think I'm going to replay the bass on that, on the, on the pre-chorus. Uh, and he doesn't get a reply from Tim. So you, you kind of chirp up in the corner and you're like... Uh, uh, okay, okay, Trevor. Um, <laughs> and you go and pick up his, his bass and plug it in and sort of take it to him. Uh, he does do things himself. He'll pick up his own bass. Sorry, I'm painting this really ridiculous. No, no, sure. I mean, he's he's paid the cost to be the boss. I think yeah, but then because Tim wasn't there, you had to do it. So you sort of dial in the settings, remembering maybe what you'd seen other people do before in the past. And then you'd record the bass on the, on the pre. Yeah, <laughs> and that would happen with, lo with lots of other things as well. It, it was like Tim, I don't know if Tim knew what he was doing by just kind of getting up and leaving, um, but it was a fantastic learning curve. Um, that would be fantastic if he was tactically going for a fag to sort of help your career. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Cameron, I'm thinking of giving up smoking. You're like, no, yeah. no, 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 don't quit. No, smoke we, more. Yeah. You smoke, if anything. Tre Trev was fantastic in, in sort of nurturing the talent of i think the assistants and the team around him because he was he was up for that he he wasn't annoyed with tim leaving he was like yeah cool you've got an opportunity so give it a go and if he didn't like something like if he didn't like the way his bass sounded he would he would say and he'd be like oh it's a bit it's a bit 
fuzzy or or if he wanted something a bit more exotic maybe he mm. would he would say oh can you can you do something interesting to it and he wouldn't be specific he wouldn't say oh mm. put the chorus on it or the octave or, or something yeah. you, you would just yeah. expect you to to try something that's cool. um he was very encouraging and nurturing of that which was fantastic nice and did there come a point where you're like i now need to make that step step into the world as i suppose at that point as an engineer or producer I'm, I'm assuming you didn't get to a point where you're like i'll vocal produce from here there must have been sort of a step <laughs> yeah like, so, right let's go into the big bad world so naturally i just kind of stepped up and engineered for him i did that for a bit and if i'm completely honest i got a little bit bored of it <laughs> sure <laughs> sure because trevor worked on a on a lot of things over a long period of time and I was getting a little bit sort of impatient. We'd be working on the same song for a, an entire week. And I sure. thought, you know, I'm a bit bored of this. So I sort of positioned myself as a bit more of an engineer for outside sessions at, at Psalm. I, and I sort of got in front of a lot of the business that was coming through and, and managed to build some really tight relationships with artists where they, I, I suppose they were coming in and working with me and it, and I wasn't, I was obviously trying trying to impress them, but um, but I think it it worked quite well because yeah. um, they kept coming back and they would they would be like oh can um, can we have cam for this session and and a lot of those sessions became vocal sessions and psalm the original psalm closed around this time and we moved across to Labrick Grove and and built a whole bunch of new little studios sort of production writing rooms vocal tracking rooms so really everything that i was engineering from that point onwards was vocals the artists i was working with which really surprised me at the time they would they would be in on maybe writing sessions and they would write a song and it would it would be like oh, let's let's just pop a vocal down before we leave um and then they would they would wheel me in and um <laughs> and they'd hop on the mic and they'd be like wow I sound so good. <laughs> what have you done? And and I was like, nothing. <laughs> nothing really. Just, I wasn't doing anything particularly exceptional, really. I was just doing it right, I think. Like the, sure. the mic was at the right height. The game was nice. There was a bit of reverb. The gain staging in the computer was good. And, and I started to realize that happened quite a lot. Um, and I started to realize that artists must be having a bad time when they're cutting their vocals. Mm -hmm. And and that started to, it sort of started to transpire that that was the case from multiple angles, I suppose, not just that the headphones sounded nice, but artists actually, although they go on stage and they have these big personalities and they, they seem super confident, actually in the studio when they're singing, especially when they're singing something they've never sung before, they're pretty nervous or anxious mm. or they don't know if it's good or not. It's a different kind of performance, isn't it, in, in, in the studio compared to on stage? And it's a different mental place you have to go to to get, to get the right performance. E exactly. I saw a bit of an opportunity there and I thought these, these artists could, they're obviously incredibly talented, yeah. uh, but the people they're working with aren't getting the most out of them. So that was mm. sort of my my little discovery and mission, <laughs> I suppose. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you'd build that relationship with the artist and they would be like, oh, I just want to go back and record my vocals with Cam. Oh. Um, and then they, their A&Rs would be like, oh, you keep going to Cam, maybe maybe I should mm. send this other artist I have to, to Cam. And and you st- st- kind of become a little bit notorious, I suppose, mm. um, among those <clears throat> circles and, and people kept coming back. I suppose in a way it's a product of the way almost how Psalm has changed where previously there would be a big studio and maybe a producer that was going to spend a week on one track and had probably spent 30 years in a studio before they'd even sat in the chair where they got to spend a week on one track. And, And you sort of bridged a gap there where maybe the people in the new Psalm were beat makers or producers that had come up in a different way and maybe didn't quite understand this gain staging and this the warmth and the reverbs and maybe the relationship with artists that that you had learned working at the original psalm and it it feels like a perfect moment almost to step into that gap yeah i couldn't have said it better yeah i, I think you're exactly <laughs> right yeah because i mean in especially in pop music as well it's so trend driven right and and artists and labels want the hottest new thing so they're getting in the hottest new producer who is maybe 17 and has only ever Mm. made music on ableton in his bedroom on his laptop he's never recorded a vocal before he doesn't like you say he doesn't know about game staging he doesn't even know what it feels like to to be a singer and to be kind of vulnerable in that in that vocal booth sure it's interesting because we've kind of got to that point where the technical meets kind of the emotional what tools have you kind of employed to realize when a when a often a very now a very famous vocalist or or maybe a vocalist that's beginning is coming in? How do you approach getting them in that space for that vocal? What have you sort of learned? Are the the soft skills you need to really get a vocal performance that that does the job. I think the artist really has to be in the in the right headspace, right, and the right mood, and they could be in any frame of mind they could have just come from like a really stressful meeting with a lawyer or they sure. might be going through a breakup or there's all these things could be going on in their, their life and you might not know about them uh, until they come in and you may never know um you want to talk to them and find out how they are but you also don't want to pry too much yeah. mm-hmm. sure i i f- find that I sort of act a little bit like the clown sometimes if I sense that conversation isn't flowing particularly well or if they've got if there's something going on and they're not willing to talk about it then I just start talking and I talk like utter rubbish I'll just tell them some really rambling mundane story about uh, I don't know how I went to the supermarket and they didn't have this thing that I wanted like yeah. really boring yeah. yes but, yeah, yeah yeah but I'm just I'm making noise and just kind of getting Getting them making used it to, a normal space, making a like normal a, space, yeah. getting them used to the sound of my voice. Uh, yeah, and then that that you talk enough about enough things, and something maybe piques their interest, and and they they latch on, and we just kind of chat for a little bit. Um, and then I, t- I tell you what, like we'll we'll head in we'll head in the booth, or maybe not the booth if if they want to sing in the control room, that's fine as well, and. I, I find I tend to s- kind of say the same things each session. It gets a bit repetitive if you were to watch me. But we'd we'd set up, pop the headphones on. I'd go back in the control room and I'd be like, you know what, it'll, it'll take a sec maybe for us to get in the swing of this. So, um, And I will distract them from the fact that they are singing by saying something like, 
let's have a sing for a little bit just get to, to kind of get in the mood i just want to tweak the settings a little bit find a find a reverb that's right for this so like give me a minute if you just just have fun don't worry about singing the right words just kind of get get into the groove of it and we'll do that and i'll record that obviously um sure and we'll do that a little bit and i'll, I'll chip in and i'll say i'll say like tell me if you need anything like if uh, if, it, if you want it louder i kind of offer up those things i don't say tell me what you want i sort of just offer sure. up the things and and they can they can listen and be like mm, yeah maybe i do want a bit more reverb or mm. or or do you want some auto tune or just kind of kind of making it easy for them if they're stressed mm. then they're not maybe thinking about what they need or then maybe not yeah. thinking mm. straight um so it's about sort of coaxing them into not to sound manipulative but to coax them into singing the song really once they're in the yeah. groove of it then you can be like right you're sounding good why don't we mm. um it was like it's going to take 10 minutes for you to warm up why don't we like crack into the verse and do a few takes of the verse and just see what happens do that for a little bit um and and i'll i'll say things like you know what you do your thing for a sec i'm just listening like you, 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 you sing it however you want to sing it, and maybe in a minute I'll like I'll chip in and I'll say some stuff. And if you, mm. if you don't like what I say, that's fine. <laughs> 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 and I will, and I'll I'll sort of test the water. I'll, I'll, I'll <clears throat> if they're nailing it from the get go, I will be honest, and I'll and I'll be like, I have nothing to say. Yeah, the, can we have five of those, and we'll all go to the <laughs> yeah. pub? Yeah, this is great. Like I'm I'm taken yeah. aback. Let's just quickly move on from this. We're obviously on a wave. Let's like let's roll with it for a minute and critique it later or if they're struggling with it i might be like that's cool or you know what let's 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 keep doing full takes of this section but in a minute let's just punch in on that line um so that you you're like so you're fresh with breath so you can have control over that little thing or if they're struggling with a little run maybe i'll be like you know what let's do a couple more takes of that um i can i can fix that i can make that better let's get it how it is move on and if you're feeling up to it later we'll come back and just try again mm, mm -hmm. um so i'm pretty honest and upfront in terms of like what i can do in terms of post-production melodining mm. and takes the pressure off them as well so that they're more likely yeah. to come back and not feel there's a mental block about this part and oh that will never be right and yeah because i i can fix it and i'll, I'll say i can fix that and it, it's fine it's enough but um let's move on and then come back mm. to it if, uh, if you want to try again we were going to talk to you about like the whole post-processing stage a bit later, but seeing as you brought it up, why don't we talk about it now? Um, kind of, yeah. what, what's your process for for working on a vocal after after the vocalist has finished singing? You know, obviously it varies record to record, but like how mu how much work do you put into a vocal after the recording session? It's so so varied. Um, the the goal and the dream for me, and it happens with a lot of sessions is that you just get the comp down as you go right mm -hmm. as we're doing takes of the of the verse um for example i'll just be grabbing bits that i want and i'll be building a comp as we go to a point like if if the ice is good and if if we're really flying then we could just play it back and it's got a bit of auto-tune on it and it's 90 percent wow um, amazing and that's the dream because they can hear that back and be like cool that's that's the record mm. <laughs> And react to it. And if they don't like a little bit, then we'll be like, you know what, let's go back and change that line. And then when yep. they leave at the end of the day, I can give them a bounce and I can leave as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that that varies hugely. There's there's times where 
a lot of the time or on every song I'll, I'll have a running comp so at the end of the day there'll be something to listen to yeah and I'll, I'll save that and if i think there's maybe more mileage in comping it again then i'll i'll do that i'll save the running comp and i'll do a whole new comp from scratch i might sort of melodyne that i'll use autotune as well if autotune's working and catching it nicely then we'll just use that but um if it's not hitting it in the right way then i'll melodyne it and i'll do that and then maybe i'll look at my new comp and my old comp and i'll comp the comps <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it's like a knockout tournament between the comps and until you eventually get the one comp to rule them all. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, yeah, no, it's, it's extreme. The, the thing is, I get quite impatient, I suppose. I just, I would love to just go home at the end of the day having, having recorded it and having got the comp there and then. But, mm. um, so any time spent afterwards is, I'm a, is a, I'm a little bit, um, <laughs> resentful of but i kind of don't want to be doing it so i try and do it as quickly as possible um not taking shortcuts but just just being efficient. but then you're also closer to the magic of the vocal as well then yeah like the technology is there to be embraced but you also want that feeling of we we tracked the vocal today of a song rather than like three days later going right let's open this comp take file and see what's in here and try and get back in that space we were in i suppose Exactly, yeah. And a lot of the time when we're recording it, we've developed a bit of a vision. We're not just doing mm. takes for the sake of takes. We're doing takes on purpose, trying to get very specific things. Everything is deliberate most of the time. <clears throat> and that's the idea of how the song or how the vocal should be is kind of in my head. So I need to kind of capitalize on that while it's, it's in there <laughs> mm. before I forget. That's true. That's true. At, at, the, at the other end... Bob's jumped to the end, but just for the slightly techie listeners, yeah. Do you have a vocal chain that likes your that is like your go-to, or you will you think I'm recording vocalist X today? I know they like the Neumann or they like the Sony, or or is there something that you like to build your vocal chain around? Um, the mic is really the the most important thing in the chain. I'll use on everything a, a Neve, probably a 1073 or a 1084 just because it's familiar how how kind of the stepped gain works and how it interacts with different mics and the outputs of different mics mm. it's i'm sure it, there are other mic preamps that sound great too but it's more <laughs> about the familiarity of it and when, and when you're going to different studios every day uh with different people you sort of want to reduce the amount of variables or or areas for kind of messing up so if i can have the same preamp and know that i'm i'm sort of working within a safe gain region yeah then i'll do that and then i would use an 1176 most of the time on the way in to compress and sometimes a tube a co1b a tube tech but the the mic is the is the most important thing because that is the kind of lens that you're you're seeing everything through at least for the pop stuff for the really kind of in your face pop vocals is is always going to be something like the c800 or the manly or a brauner or a 251 maybe those mics are quite addictive i find right, right. i have a i have i have a manly i have a brauner i have a this beautiful flea m49 which i love i love the sound of it but uh as soon as you go and do a few sessions with like the c800 or the or any of those bright mics and then you go back and you do something with the m49 it's just 
disappointing. <laughs> right. Because right. it doesn't that have that sort of in-your-face top end and, right. and body. So that mic doesn't get used very often. So I, I'm, I'm, I, I love the, the, the bright mics and I can't get away from them. But I would love to hop on a project where they're not expecting a kind of slamming in-your-face vocal <laughs> and do something a bit more kind of wholesome and, and get that mic out again and just d- do things a little bit more <laughs> organically it's nice to have it in your locker i guess yeah i, I was going to ask you what's your current space like or, or are you jumping around lots of different spaces um i have a little studio here at strong room which is where i am now which mm. is good it's a kind of an all all-in-one room thing um i have it set up not really in the traditional sense uh, I suppose the room is kind of like a, a a long rectangle, right? And you would imagine that maybe the speakers would be set up along one of the short walls, mm-hmm. uh, sofa at the back or, or something. I've kind of got it the other way. I've got a, a sofa at one of the short walls. I've got the speakers along uh, one of the side walls. Um, and then my workstation is on just like a little trolley that, that moves around. And the singer uh, goes to my left. Uh, and the whole my whole thing with that is just like communication and eye contact and like being visible. I can, I can face the singer. I can turn my back to the singer. If there's people on the sofa, I can face them. I can roll over to them and show them what's on the screen. I've I've always hated being in studios where everyone is behind you over your shoulder. Sure. You might be Mm. in the sweet spot of the speakers, but does that matter if you can't? Yeah. You're not in the feel of, yeah, of what people are feeling about what's being tracked. Yeah. And you, yeah. Well, if you're tracking them in the control room, you're on the headphones anyway, so it doesn't matter about the sweet spot. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You worked across a lot of the Future Nostalgia album. Obviously, it's a kind of gener- it's becoming a generation-defining album. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it was like recording that record? And obviously, a lot of moving parts in that record, but obviously, the vocal is always going to be. Yeah, the the thing that works through it. What was it like being part of a project that big and then also that successful? I suppose. I mean, <sighs> or did you yeah. not feel that at the time? It just, no, just because to... that no, no, no. The, the thing is, like everyone involved, do it. Doer is the real deal. She is incredible, and everybody working on that project is like the top of their game. It mm. was so so cool to kind of be in the room with with those people. But but Doer is fantastic. Um, we worked a lot with uh, Lorna Blackwood, who is Dua's vocal coach and producer. So she was, I was engineering the vocal and, and Lorna was there next mm. to me kind of uh, directing and helping Dua with her performance. Um, and it was it was such a good team. We had Cos over who produced a bunch of tracks um, from Canada. Uh, Coffee was part of the process. Um Joe Kentish, do his A and R, has always been very hands on as well. He would come down and just, just hang out. But he was such a great presence in the room. He wasn't, he didn't feel like he was judging everything. He was just hanging out and like, do mm. would come out of the booth and be like, oh, what do you think, Joe? Um, it was, it was, it was good. And she's incredible. What is it about her that's so special? It, you, you're talking about her vocal talent, or is it something else? She's got, I mean, her. her her gift, I suppose, is her incredible voice. It's undeniably Dua Lipa. When, when yeah. you, you hear it, you're like, oh, it's Dua. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and she knows how to, how to work it. She knows how to kind of get the best from it. Um, but also just her, her drive and her 
ambition and her vision for that record. She knew what kind of record she wanted to make. And she knew she knew what the record was going to be called like way before. Mm, and she amazing. wasn't telling us. She was like, I have the name. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> it was, it's just brilliant. You see that in, in some artists and it's inspiring and it's kind of exciting as well because you know they're so driven and you know that they know exactly what they want. Um, mm. And you, you don't want to get in the way of that. You just want to let them be their best and let them fulfill that that thing. It sounds almost like you're saying it was a bit like going back to where you're like, my job now is to do this and listen to the other people and absorb and I can just focus on making sure this this vocal take sings and Lorna will look after that and Cos yeah. is looking after that and I'll... It sounds like a lot of really nice kind of plates all spinning together or, or caught... Notes playing in harony to be more Notes more poetic, nice. like a, <laughs> Notes um, playing in but harmony. in a nice no, way of yeah. like everyone playing, pushing in the same direction at the same time is that's when things really sing, isn't it? You're right. I was I was very aware actually thinking now I was aware of being part of a a bigger team where my job was to not get in the way and not mess it up, really. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's fair. Whereas sometimes I'm like, I'm I have to I have to be the hype guy and like there's a lot of sort of creative yeah. weight on my shoulders. Whereas it really wasn't mm. for that. It was such a, a sort of a pleasure <laughs> to, yeah. to do that record. Uh and at the time, like we knew the songs were good and we knew Dua was driven and that we had an exciting record on our on our hands, but I wasn't in those sessions thinking, wow, this is Grammy material. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't till later when she was nominated, I was like, wow. That was Grammy material. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. Great. So I wasn't quite aware how special it was at the time, but looking back on it, it was was fantastic. We've talked about the technical and and a little bit about the emotional, but as a vocal producer, I know in pop it can be different, but do you occasionally track a vocalist or you're tracking a song and you sit there and, I mean, it's just like, myth of like the one take but you occasionally hit record and you're you're listening you're oh levels are good and then halfway through you're like holy crap this person is just delivering the most emotional complete performance and just sort of stop for a minute and have those shivers down your spine is there is there room room for that still within your job or um i i think i'm sort of the the technical aspect which i'm i'm lucky has become so sort of second nature to me it's like driving a Mm, car of course you don't think Oh, I'm going to change to second gear now. I nailed that gear, fourth gear change. Yeah, no, fair point. It just point, happens, yes. um, which mm. is fantastic. That was always the dream, and and it's a treat that that, that is the case now. That I obviously I'm paying attention to the technical aspect, but it just kind of happens subconsciously. But yeah, the the there was a realization I had a while ago where I was recording. I think I'd done some stuff with Anne Marie, and Anne Marie's a fantastic vocalist to begin with and I remember like cutting a song and thinking oh yeah this sounds sick sending it off and I I think her A&R rang me up like a few days later and she was and he was like um yeah she sounds good you've recorded it nicely but it's just a bit boring <laughs> uh and I was like hmm mm, you're right aren't you of course she sung it beautifully and I thought it was amazing at the time but what really I should have asked at that point was, it's good, but can we beat it? How can it be better? And I sort of, I'm quite f- upfront with that in in sessions now as well. If someone does something that's amazing, I'm like, that was unbelievable. I'm speechless. Uh, like we have that, 
can we beat it? Like, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. how can this be better? And we'll listen to mm. it and be like, um, like, should we just try some stuff? And maybe we'll try singing something a bit angrier or, or we'll try a total curveball approach at singing something just to see if there's any other way or any other magic to get out of something. Even if something is amazing to begin with, I, I suppose the, the mentality is always striving for something better than what's, what you're starting with. But yeah, there's plenty of moments where, where an artist sings and I'm like, wow, this is, you're a pro. <laughs> um, you talking about the, all the different people involved in that Dua Lipa album. It makes me think like about how, how does it work when you interact with kind of the more conventional producers who've, you know, done, done tracking of other bits of the song and then you come in to track the vocal. Like, what's that interaction like with the other, the other kind of members of the production team? Um, with a lot of the, the pop stuff, it feels like kind of a shame. It can be quite a linear process where the production has evolved around a, a demo vocal or a vocal that wasn't the demo vocal for a long time. They thought it was the final vocal. And then they get to a point where it's ready to, to go to mix and they think, oh, maybe, we'd like, maybe we should get a session with Cam and see if we can beat that vocal. And that will happen and maybe we do beat the vocal and it goes to mix and there's no discussion with the producer it's like it's just another step in the process it's like we've the song goes to mix or actually no the song goes to cam and then it goes to mix which is fantastic <laughs> to be that that person but it's a bit of a shame not to have a bit more of a broader sort of creative discussion with the other people in in that process but on the flip side of that uh, there's a producer I'd, I've cut some vocals for called Seba who who's fantastic who I love um he we have quite a good sort of dialogue when we're working on on stuff uh he's quite specific about things he's wanting to get from the vocal and there might be a sort of bit of back and forth between us on the comp and those those kind of dialogues are they're a little bit more fiddly and a bit more annoying but at the end of it I feel like it's more fulfilling and, and you have something that mm. that is probably better than if it was the other way around. That's cool. And then flowing out the other way, do you say you're delivering a vocal back to a producer or, or to a mixer? Mm. Do you sort of say to them, I'm going to deliver you some really nice wet stems that are ready to be put in the track because I've talked this through with the vocalist? Or do you go, I got the performance, it's been recorded right, hit you'd make the mixed decisions or is it or is it a bit, a bit of both i would say nearly everything i'm i'm doing i'm sort of pre-mixing the vocals so i'm i'm mm. sending stems it's quite nicely stemmed out but but there'll be eq and compression and maybe a little bit of volume riding on on the vocal and the right. reverbs and effects will be sort of printed separately but right it's there so you take those stems and just put them at, at zero and they play like a mix over over the instrumental that's the case most of the time i think people want that there's mm. th we we tweak the sound of the vocal quite a bit with the artist in the session if they want something particular then we might dial in like a bit of distortion or a, an effect and that's like mm -hmm. that's how it's supposed to be and sometimes we'll if it's a wild effect we'll, we'll record sort of with that on and yeah what, you what commit we, to it early you mean yeah and what mm. we record there is like is meant has has been designed and performed with that effect in mind it's not supposed yeah. to be sort of heard another way so yeah but then on on the other side when i'm if i've done something and i and 
the A&R and the artist hasn't questioned it. They're like, yeah, love it. And I'm sending the stems off and I think, oh, I've been quite aggressive with the treatment on this. <laughs> I don't know if that's how it should be. If I'm unsure of it, then I'll send my stuff, but then I'll send another folder of, of kind of all the raw bits. and, and just sure. like, I won't say, oh, I'm worried about this. I'll just send it and if someone wants it yeah, give them. they can. Yeah, fine have a go <laughs> cool bob you've written a question here and i um cameron we have some regular questions which we're going to get to but i th i thought this was a really good question bob and i'd, I'd sort of like to ask it do you want um, me to read it then <laughs> it's, uh, well yeah no it is which your question one? but there's a few here in front of us well it's can you see which one i'm on yes i can yeah well yeah, you yeah. ask it it's your question it's a good um, question well yeah we could yeah i guess we talked a bit about pro post post processing earlier but um i've written pop vocals are often very heavily edited how do you make sure that you retain the character of the performance? And I guess you, you answered it earlier by saying that you get you do try and get a lot of it in the performance and, and you, you're almost loathe to do too much post-processing, post but it is expected that pop vocals be perfect in quotation marks these days, isn't it? So how do you walk that line? Mm. It's a good question <laughs> because you're right, perfect in inverted question marks. Mm. I feel like is the assumption people people think yeah it needs to be perfectly in time and perfectly in tune which and mm. I don't think it's true no. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah no I don't think there not. is a there is a a perfect I think there's a, an element of sort of instinct maybe if I'm hearing it and it sounds edited to me to my sort of if I put my sort of consumer hat on and listen to it uh, and I'm like yeah it sounds edited and it's supposed to sound natural, then I'll be like, yeah, it's not good enough. I need to go back and fix that. But then mm. there's a there's a cool kind of branch of pop music where, yeah, where it's where it's fun when the vocal sounds super manipulated and it's like kind of larger than life, mm. not totally. realistic mm. at all. And that's a whole other thing, really. You really lean heavily into that, and that's that's fun um, when something's like quite heavily auto-tuned or or sort of time stretched or like you cut the breaths off or you cut the the ends off line so it's almost kind of gated or or you put a side chain on it what's a good example of a project you've you've done that maybe our listeners can go and check out where you've you've had a bit more fun with that kind of post-processing i had a bit of fun with there's an Anne-Marie song with nathan door called way too long and there's like a post-chorus kind of vocal chop thing which mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not going to sing it. You just have to have to <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and find it. And it was a originally that vocal chop was sort of um, the demo vocal was done by uh, Dio, and they'd done it with Trey, Jean Marie, and maybe M and E K. Um, and the vocal chop was like the the hook and the sort of the most important thing. And when we were going in to record M Marie, I asked Trey like what what he'd done there, like. Uh, had he chopped that from the vocals that already existed or had, had she sung a particular set of words and then it was chopped um and the revelation for me was it, he, he was like no she just uh she just sung it like that she sung it like it was a vocal chop wow. and then i cool. sort of chopped the ends off it a little bit to make it sound like a sample and yeah. i was like ah oh, so obvious of course yeah. just do that <laughs> Nice. Shakespeare once said that music is the food of love. But what is the food of music? As much as the right microphone or guitar amp, what we eat or drink can be such a crucial part of a recording session. So each week we like to ask our guests, what do they cook? 
poor order to get the mood right in the studio. I'm, I'm wondering maybe though if, if with this being sort of a specific interview that we haven't done before, is there something when you're working on a session with a singer that you, you know, do you say to them like, no dairy here or no hot food or are you looking at looking after their vocals in 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 the food choices yeah when they work? <laughs> it's a good question because um yeah there are there are rules no dairy right. no kebabs like stay hydrated yeah. but you've got to don't you, do a curry and then exactly. jump in on a on the uh, middle eight yeah and like h- hydration of your vocal cords comes from having drunk water and being well hydrated leading up to singing like sing, drinking water while you're singing is helpful of course but it's not gonna if you're dehydrated it's not gonna mm, yes. fix that um but i i don't want to i don't want to enforce those rules i might sure. bring it up and be like but then i don't want to be that guy i don't want to if, if someone's like oh i'm gonna order a, a milkshake uh, I'll, I'll be like i, I don't want to be that guy who says really you don't want to do that <laughs> But maybe if I can tactically go about it uh, and be like, milk's dairy's not very good, is it, for singing? I, I don't know how yeah, I, yeah, how yeah. I approach Oh, it. I don't know. I, it's not something I think about much, but is dairy bad? Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. The thing <laughs> is, and, and it goes with, like, uh, smoking, all those things that you're not supposed to do when you're singing. I don't care. Like, if it makes you happy, then then mm. do it. We'll get the results. And if we have to stop and start a little bit, then then doesn't matter but you know what i will do especially with uh newer artists maybe uh is it's just nice to bring like i don't know a bag of cookies or or something or some cakes to the session even if yes if they're not going to eat them if they're not going to eat them then great more for me um (laughs) but it's a it's an icebreaker isn't it i suppose Mm. and a talking point What's your favourite plugin? Oh, I don't want to be that guy that says Melodyne. Of course, I use Melodyne every day, but is it my favourite plugin? <laughs> Probably not. No. Um, you know what I love? Actually, I love I love kind of kind of naughty plugins that do like quite aggressive things, right? There's this compressor mm. called Wolf Compressor, I think, by Good Hertz. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, lovely. I don't know exactly what it does. When you load it up, it's got loads of noise on it. So f- first I turn the noise off. Um, <laughs> and But the, it has like a saturation and a kind of a wow and flutter. But if you want, I love it on a vocal. If you've got like a really kind of bright pop vocal and you put that on it, it kind of rounds it off a little bit and it makes it feel a little bit kind of alt and a little bit sort of left field. Um, cool. Uh, and it's just fun. It's aggressive and it brings out the consonants in a nice way. And your favorite piece of hardware? Again, I'm thinking favorite piece of hardware compared to like hardware that is useful and uh, I use on all Sure. Places. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. The 1176, to be honest. And I use it on everything. And maybe that's why I love it um, because it's so familiar and because it's so. Again, I I just love the extremes of things, right? If you if you want to compress really hard and get a kind of a, a slappy compressed vocal, then that's the, that's it. The eleven seventy six, and I probably do that never, but it's <laughs> possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, there we go. The eleven seventy six. What's uh, your favorite studio you've ever worked in? You know what? Uh, no, no shade on UK studios, but all the good studios are in America. 
Fair, fair. So I was fortunate to do a session at Electric Lady um, a couple of years ago, uh, and that that is next level. Of course, they have all the equipment, all the heritage, um, but it was like it was such a such a vibe there. The whole way the kind of building is kitted out and designed, it's it's very cool. It's almost like maybe they have used an interior designer. I don't know, but it's like bits mm. of kind of vintage furniture, old lamps, but it's just so exquisitely selected. Um, nice. It's great. Love it. I love that. I love Lovely. it for that and not like a desk or a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> a, that's a better reason. <laughs> much better reason. Slightly more prosaically, what's your favorite synth? That's a good question because I don't uh, really play synths very often yeah um, sure you know what i love um I, I went on a real quest to find the best vocoder plugin a little while ago and i dip into that every now and again and try and find the newest best one um and the one that i'm loving at the moment is i think it's called manipulator it's it's great and when if someone asks for a vocoder sound i would say nine times out of ten they reference uh the middle uh, by Zed, um, mm -hmm. which has a, a big yeah. chunky vocoder on it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, actually. I'd love to speak to someone who made that record. I don't know if that's a vocoder or if it's Harmony Engine. It could be Harmony Engine but um, by Antares. But uh, anyway, this Polyverse one gets the closest to that. It's like a big, simple, chunky vocoder, if you notice how to sort of dial it in. And it's not as complex as something like Vocal Synth by Isotope, which mm. is wild, but it's... Um, just a bit too, hard, too hard to control that I yeah. find yeah okay cool that's a really good tip um, we've already kind of touched on this but it's worth delving in again the final one of the fast five is what's your favourite microphone uh, I would say probably the C800 because whenever uh, someone's not on the C800 I think oh I wish I had the C800 <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hate to be that person because it's such it's the stereotypical mic isn't it when we talk about like pop music uh, pop music of the last 20 years it's, it's that um, mm. I hate mm. to, to not be different um, but but that having said that the 251 it, you can get similar sort of results from a 251 but it's a little bit more sort of wholesome and a bit more flexible perhaps um, right so for a while it was the 251 but today it's the C800 <laughs> through and through cool. alright our final question that we ask everyone is um and I guess we can tweak it for you slightly, but uh, we, it's uh, what is the most important tool at your disposal as a producer? And I guess we can tweak that to be vocal producer for you, if you like. I've really learned to kind of rely on my instinct, right, over the last few years and getting mm. away from something and coming back to it just with a little bit of perspective and hearing it and then reacting to any instinctual thought that I have about it seems to be the best thing and it seems to be the best for a lot of the people i'm working with as well it's just like maybe you could argue perspective but i think instinct is with perspective using your instinct to make decisions that are sort of reactive to hearing something with fresh ears and is is important so instinct
I personally found that such a fascinating interview. As someone who does record a lot of vocals mm. like week to week, to week uh, I, I, there was a lot of stuff that rang true to me, but so much stuff that I'd never really thought about before that's, I think, going to make me a better producer. What kind of things, just because, yeah, you're doing a lot more vocal tracking than me, what kind of things just popped at you, popped at you as like, oh, that's an interesting idea? Well, you know, last time we, Leo was joking about the kind of producer 101 of making the vocalist feel comfortable. And, and you know, Cameron kind of skirted over that because it is super obvious. But th there was a couple of nuggets that, that he mentioned in that vein that, that I don't do that I think are really important. So when I ask a vocalist, do, do you need anything? I guess what I mean is, uh, you know, do you need more or less reverb? Can you hear yourself? Do you mm -hmm. want the track a bit louder? How's the volume of your headphones? Cam said he he specifies all of those things and offers them essentially a menu of options. Like nice, you can yes. have this, you can have this, you can have this. And I think it's so important to remember that a lot of the vocalists that one is working with aren't producers and don't mm. know what can be changed. And yes. in, Ka in Cam's experience, he, he was like, wow, all these singers are having a really bad time cutting their vocals. And it's probably because people, the people who are tracking them were just assuming, oh, they'll say if, if, if it sounds overcompressed. Most people mm. don't know what their vocal sounds like overcompressed. No, yeah. They just would go, oh, this sounds a bit weird, but I guess this is what it's meant to be. Or, and also maybe the producer is thinking, well, I just need to get this take and then I can auto-tune it and then I can pitch it mm -hmm. and reverb and, and mm. EQ it. And the singer's going, I sound terrible in my cans. Like mm. I'm used to hearing some auto-tune when I sing or I'm used yeah, to hearing yeah. a lot of... Which um, we can do now, by the way. That was that was a bit of a shock to me a few years ago when they brought yeah, out yeah, auto-tune auto live or whatever it was called. Yes. It was like, okay, you can do that. I guess you can do that at shows now as well. I think that had been going on for a little while. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> a little tap of the nose, yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's really true, Bob. That's a really interesting idea. Mm. Um, I, when I work with you, I um, learning from your vocal chain, I, I was coming in too hard with a lot of processing, a lot of things. And mm -hmm. singers were like, oh, that doesn't quite sound like my voice. And and I learned from you to kind of simplify it just so they were hearing the best of them, you know, some nice yeah. EQ, some nice reverb. You know, you don't need to be doing your heavy sibilance processing then or whatever. No, or whatever yeah, it, it doesn't have to be going through the full chain in the box because that might also um, increase latency issues, which is the biggest thing for, for singers feeling uncomfortable, mm. I find. And, and not all people are so used to dealing with latency in their home studio setups. And so a lot of singers kind of like maybe just put up with it, but it can be really off-putting even course. if there's a tiny bit of latency. So yeah, that's that's a big concern. Yeah, and, and some singers don't don't like singing with reverb, for example. Um, sure. I've got, I've sure. got a couple of singers I, I work with who love having it 100% dry uh, and others who, who want loads of reverb. Um, so Even how they're set up, you know, like mm. I remember working with someone with you and we said, we sort of went, they sort of were quietly like, could I? could the monitors be on and I not have the headphones and can I use an SM58? And yeah. you're like, yeah, you you can. And maybe I should be offering that. I know like in my head, I want to use a condenser with this amazing mm. preamp and isolation, mm. but no, of course you can. And, and yeah. if that works, you know, and you're right, give them those options, give them that menu because the menu. their head mm. may be like, have I done a TikTok story on this today? Or, <laughs> yeah. it, or is this mid late as good as it could be? And I'm yeah. thinking about that when I'm trying to track the verse and, um, yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't go to the social media thing. Let's talk about the music more. But yeah, no, but it's, you're right. You're right. Um, and and us as engineers and producers, we're the ones who needs who who know kind of what what we can offer them. So we need to offer it to them. Yes. And th yeah. That was it's, it's a kind of seemed a minor thing in the context of the of such a great interview, but the the, the biggest one for me personally. 
Mm. Um, How about you? Yeah, well, one of the things it's sort of related and it's come from a lot of these interviews of sort of the the traditional 101s that you learn. Maybe, Maybe in this day and age, they're not what they are you know if a singer's come in to do a take and they've got a chocolate milkshake and they're whacking it down Mm. you know maybe in 1985 you'd turn around (laughs) and be like what are you doing that's dairy are you crazy (laughs) um but just be like well if that if they're in a good and confident place to do this vocal as long as it's not racking their voice um yeah. I had that with same with singers that smoke. You know, they smoke. They if if yeah. they're a good singer, they've been singing and smoking at the same time. It's not the time to have that chat. It's the time yeah. to get them feeling as comfortable as possible. And it was interesting that those things sort of almost weren't in Cameron's consideration. He sort of laughed when I asked that, like, "Oh yeah. no, I'm, it's not really part of my process." It's much more about that personal um, understanding and and making them comfortable. Yeah, there's no point being that drill sergeant. I don't think anyone anyone wants that, and it's probably not going to make a tangible difference. At least not on the day. Anyway, no, no, it? and that well, and that I suppose that's another takeaway, isn't it? You know, a lot of these vocals, it is a day. Yeah. Um, and Cameron really sort of laid out a good sort of pathway about how you maybe build the bridge of that vocal about like get some nice loose takes, build the trust, then drill in on parts, but don't make it too pressured unless you've you feel they could be pressured and then you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that will be really useful hopefully for our listeners who do track a lot of vocals because c- he really just spelled out his, his working process mm. and um, yeah, just, just super useful. Um, something that I hadn't thought about too much that he mentioned uh, that comes towards the end of his process is this kind of attitude of, can we beat it? Yeah. Um, nice. And I think that's quite cool. It, it's, it's, um, it's going to depend on the song and the singer and the context, but but it's something that I don't necessarily ask myself too much. I like to get the first good take and use that because mm. um, I'm, not, I'm not too big a fan of having millions of choices. And it's not just because I'm lazy and don't want to sift through 50 takes. It's just because there's a myth of like the first take being the best but i do think there's a there's a sweet spot that comes quite Mm. early um yes so but but i i i will take some inspiration from cam here really ask can can we do better than that it it might be very very good and my instinct to take take the first very good take not just the first decent take but Mm, the first very good take i I go that sounds like the one and i go let's go for it I, i don't like to dwell on it but maybe and it's it's a bit like those 80s game shows, particularly if you've got that like comp together. It's almost like mm. you're going home with that. You know, you've got 100 quid in your back pocket. <laughs> Let's open the other box and see what it is. Yeah. And if in the next box is, you know, alarm clock radio, yeah. you keep the 100 quid. But if it might be a 500 pound uh, bonus. So, yeah. And, and Kerry talked about that in his interview, like judging the personality where you can almost make it a bit of a challenge with the singer. Like, yes. can we better this? How good could we be? Mm. Um and that this comes re- maybe nearer the end of a session when that trust yeah. is built and also there's a take you can use. So if they fall apart at that challenge, you're like, don't worry. We're, you yeah, know. yeah, you've got that safety net. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This reminds me of, um, I was teaching a tutorial last week and I, I asked the students if they had any questions and I was talking about vocal processing and one of the students just went, um, how many takes should you do? Mm. And I thought that was a really interesting question because obviously it's a bit of a how long is a piece of string question. Sure. But at the same time, I do think there is, there is a there is a good amount of takes. There is a sweet spot when the singer really starts to know the part, 
but before they start getting bored. I just think that was a useful way to think about it. But in conjunction with this, can we beat it thing? I guess it, be- mm. I guess it becomes like a sort of supplement to your standard compliment of takes where, you know, yeah, we feel like we've done enough and we've, we've got some great stuff here. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a snagging process. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I think another takeaway for me, which is more general is like, mm. and, and Cameron alluded to it, like, this role that is so important now is sort of like a new epoch in is part of the new epoch in music production, which, you know, yeah. has been evolving for 20 or so years, but particularly now with so many home studios, so much built in the box stems flying quite literally around the world. Mm. Um, I think as a producer, you can get too involved in that. Like, Oh, I found this amazing synth sound. And, oh, maybe if we got the kick right, da, da, da. the moment that matters to 95% of people that listen to this record is the mm. vocal. And when there's so many moving parts, you've got to put a stake in the ground and go the vocal rules. This is the moment, the day, the week, the person that yeah. gets that nailed. Yeah. And w- yeah, whatever level you're working at, it's really important to spend that time on it. And I think on a more prosaic level, it's it's telling that major labels are willing to put put mm. their money where their mouth is in this respect and go, let's just yes. try a session with Cam. How often do major labels spend money when they don't absolutely know that they have to? Completely. But in our experience, very, very, very rarely. So um, yes. in, in this case, they obviously recognize A, Cam's um, abilities and B, the importance of the vocal. Definitely. And it, and on a more general level, like from records I've made, a producer I worked with once made the point like so often in a session, you're doing so much of the music and then the last few hours you go, oh, let's do the vocal now. Yeah. And it's like, well, that seems insane because if A, the person's tired and B, if the vocal's not good, we've got no other time, whereas everything else can sort of be mm. done. It, and it, come, it comes from that traditional thing of like track the drums, track the bass, you go yes. from like bottom to top, which sort of made sense, but... But even you've you in sessions I do with you now, like I've noticed that occasionally you'll you'll just no, notice the time and be like, guys, should we let's put some kind of vocals down now? And it's it's a bit more than a guide. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that then the, the song elevates and you can see what else you need on the song. And then maybe you do go like there's two hours left. Let's let's track that. That's exactly vocal. why. Cause A, because there's there's always a chance that everything you've done so far is a waste of time because cause the top line isn't there. Or the yes. vocal's not right, but B, it, you more often than not, it's more of a positive thing, and it like really unlocks. And and I, mm. I can sit in front of a door all day long, but I, I I don't really, I don't really feel confident about what I'm doing until there's a vocal there, and it and it inspires me, and I can play around with it. Maybe you sample a bit of it or something, and yeah, it's just so yes. key. I, I really I really agree. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, apart from like Blue Monday by New Order, no one goes home like singing the snare sound. <laughs> so like. <laughs> figure out what your song is get that vocal in and and um and yeah music production 101 but i feel like the first thing you forget when you start making music seriously is if you make any music that has a vocal on it that's the most important thing yeah um and i think we're so into sounds and Mm. sample packs and modular synthesis and you know, surgically EQ and all these things as music producers that we can just go deeper, deeper, deeper into. And like, yeah. actually, probably the first song you got into was a song and a vocal. And of course, that's where you need to spend the most time and most attention. Yeah. It's so obvious. And the world has necessitated the creation of that role is, is an acknowledgement by the industry and, and by musicians that, oh, gosh, we've maybe forgotten this at times. Yeah. Um in this world and definitely do not forget it and listen to people like Cameron who, who have this Mm. amazing insight on it. Just going back to what you said about it being a fairly new role. I think 
it's inspiring to kind of think about how Cameron was just there at the right time. Obviously, mm. I'm, I'm not taking anything away from how talented he is. And like he, he was there at the right time and had had a really gifted Had the vision set, for it, yes. Vision and, and was just doing the job so well that he fell in he fell into the role because people were like we've got to go back to cam like that we want cam mm. for this session but like it's just a really good example of how you know he didn't he didn't graduate lipper and think um i'm gonna yes. be a vocal producer it's just like he was he was kind of at the he noted he saw an opportunity at the right time as the industry was evolving and um really made the most of it and, that, and that's inspiring Yes, definitely. I, when I described how that role kind of came about through his time at Psalm and the move of the studios, I was listening to myself say it and I was like, if you get to the end of this and he says, no, Lawrence, that is completely wrong. You're going to look like <laughs> such a bell end. But, but as no, I finished, he... went, I couldn't have said it better myself. And I, yeah. I had a uh, self praise is no praise, but I was very pleased that he didn't go. No, Lawrence, I think you've totally misunderstood. My yeah, life. I had to suppress a smile there. That, that was a big win for you. Yeah, no, I, I swung I swung for the fences with that <laughs> one. Um, it's always great to be able to explore these different parts of the industry, particularly someone at the level Cam is working on. If any of you watch the song Exploder on um, Dua Lipa on Netflix, you'll see Cam in the background at times. So, um, oh, yeah. Nice to have a bit of stardust on this. As always, we really appreciate all your emails, comments, reaching out to us on the Instagram. So do mm -hmm. keep doing that for us. Yes. Process of production podcast at gmail.com and uh, at process of production on Instagram. Just a tiny bit of housework. The, yeah. the, the plugin that he talked about that he thinks is the best vocoder out there at the moment is the Polyverse Manipulator, just in case you didn't pick that up in the interview. That is strong. That's yeah. a great place to leave it. Some yeah. solid tech. Yeah. <laughs> um, have a great fortnight, guys, and we will see you on the other side. See you next time. Bye. See you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the process of production this week. If you enjoyed it, please give us a follow and maybe even a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. It really helps. And please get in touch if you have any thoughts on the show, questions you'd like answered, or producers you'd like to see featured. We'd love to hear from you. Our Instagram is at process of production and our email is process of production podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>